It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor, too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Work Cookie, our weekly gathering of IOs, HRs, recruiters, and one actor as we try to make the world of work just a little bit better. Uh, Jeremy, to start off, you have something special for us. Yes. So we've got something special. So these... If you're listening to the, the recording on this in the podcast, these are all these are open mic events, these particular events. And you can go to cbock.com slash events and get your ticket, join in, hang out. What we're also doing is we uh, are providing a, a workbook for each because we have a different topic each month. So it's a workbook that you can just work through. You can take notes on each of the sessions, add your takeaways, et cetera, et cetera. And many of you know, we've got a, a, our IO three-day experience coming up. And one of the benefits of that is just the idea generation and the different things that we can think of as an organization to help IO psychology, not only with the brand awareness, but also with engaging the IO psych community and those interested in what IO psych can do for their businesses, of course. So one thing that we did is we created, actually, Dr. Destiny pre, uh, created this workbook. It's for the entire three-day experience. It's 37 pages long. It's available now. That you can go to cboc.com and just click on resources. And then I think it's like digital downloads, something to that effect. It's free. You can download that. Because of the three-day event, we're also provide offering a, um, a micro-credential in IO Psychology Thought Leadership. So the first part of that particular workbook is the uh, like all the session events and the description of it. And then you'll see the table of contents. And the first couple pages are, are geared towards the micro credential, but the other ones are geared towards each session. Each session. So for each session, you've got day one session, and then there's a whole like takeaways, action items, notes, a journal prompt, and they're they're different for for each of the sessions. So that's available now, and we put it up now because some of you might want to go and take a look at it, maybe even do pre work. But off of that, we're also going to do those for these particular episodes now because we don't like just the static. We don't like to just check the box. How can we actually make this something else? What we're also going to be doing during the three-day event, which is uh, August 10th through the 12th with an in-person meetup in the Maryland, DC area. What we're going to be doing is after each session, we're going to post a recap. It's probably going to be Dr. Destiny Preet to post the recap on LinkedIn. And then Everyone will have a chance to go in there and share their own, their other actions and takeaways. The workbook is one of those things for people to capture it during. And we're also going to start doing that with these particular events that we have now. Do a post. Here's a takeaway in case you missed it. And people can share their insights and their thoughts. The grand idea is, and we've already started to put a plan in place for this, 
is for everybody to be able to basic to possibly turn it into a into a book at least the one with a three-day experience because we're going to have so much in terms of insights in terms of action items in terms of takeaways plus all of our panelists all of our cbac experts for that event we created surveys for all them so that they can use for their own notes during that session so we also have key insights and takeaways for what they want to talk about so we might even be able to turn that into a book if you have insights ever you can feel free to just say hey look i filled this out and you can forward just send the whole thing to hello at cbock.com or just email hello at cbock.com with some of your takeaways for either the sessions any of these podcast recording events and if we get to this uh, book thing, which might might even be a hard copy, we'll be able to um, to cite you right in, in, in these books. So that's a new thing that we we have coming up. Rachel, uh, maybe now's a good time because you have uh, some events that might be helpful for our IO community. I want to give you the opportunity. By the way, we are going to dive in the future of IO, all kinds of stuff. We're going to talk AI. It's going to be fantastic. Rachel, do you want to share about the events that you have coming up, and then? After you speak, you can make sure you pop the links in the in the chat. Yeah, Jeremy, thank you so much. Well, this could be a great segue because one of the things that IO psychologists do, right? I joke is that we help work doc suck and kill you. And so to that end, helping people avoid burnout and also helping people control their devices instead of their devices controlling them. So those are two separate workshops I'm giving in August that I had mentioned to Jeremy. I will put the links in the chat. Both are free and virtual, which we know are awesome. And there's something ironic about doing a digital well-being workshop over Zoom, but that's that's the way we roll here, right? So the first one is geared a little bit towards business owners, but truly anyone can join, anyone can get takeaways um, in terms of how do you optimize your daily routines to thrive personally and professionally at the same time. And then the second one is digital well-being. So social media devices, notifications. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about neuroscience. And then again, just the um, how to optimize your, your own behaviors. And maybe those are the workplace so that you can, like I said, feel like you're more in control of the devices rather than them controlling you. So thanks, Dr. Jeremy. And hopefully that's a great segue into what we're talking about, the various roles that IOs can play. Um, and I will post the links to both in the chat. And then they're also on my LinkedIn page. Thank you, Rachel. Beautiful. I love I love the whole neuroscience aspect of it. So yeah, very good. So check out the, the link in the chat. And then if you're listening to the podcast, Rachel Boehm, B-O-E-H-M on LinkedIn, you can follow her for that. So Tom, today, what is our exact topic for today? We're going to be talking, well, actually, before we get to that, I have a question for you. Do you have to be an IO psychologist for the micro credential? Ooh. Because it would be That's really a, cool if I could walk into HR and go, look what I have. <laughs> I don't, I'll pass, I'll, I'll have to say, ask Dr. Destiny about that. My, I'm just, I'm going to say no, because you're going through the steps and with the micro credential. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to say no, there it is. Standard. No, it's a hard nice. no. You don't have to be just an IO. Uh, it's it, what the micro credential is. Basically you attend a couple of the sessions. We're going to have a, uh, I think we're going to have a course built out that you can just go on to CBOC, take this basically course, which is you just answering a couple of questions. And then you, one of the parts of it is you either write an article, write a blog, or you speak up during a podcast uh, event during it. So just really cool, like different ways to engage. So I'm going to say, no, you don't have to be an IS psychologist. 
And and really, Work Cookie is like a weekly university class in Iowa psychology. So I've learned a lot over the last couple of years. But today, we're going to talk about the future of Iowa psychology. We're going to look at trends, challenges, and opportunities for growth, uh, which is really exciting to me, Jeremy, because you know you and I have known each other for a couple of years, and and you're the one who introduced me to Iowa psychology. I never even you know, I was like the rest of the world didn't know it was a thing. Uh, but now, you know, with all the time that you and I have spent looking at um, online, virtual, hybrid work, I, I don't think you move forward down that step without an IO psychologist. So that's just something brand new that we're seeing now that, you know, that working from home, you need an IO psychologist to navigate that and to get everyone working together. But let's start talking about some of the other trends maybe that, that you've seen out there. Yes. And Tom, you mentioned something. We're we're going to get to the topic eventually today. But you mentioned about, I didn't know about what IOs until I made. So a lot of people don't. I made, it was interesting. Deborah Colazzo shared one of the posts uh, that I that I made on like brand awareness and IO psychology being a household name within five to 10 years. And I, I'm, I put a comment in there and I tagged things in people. And then I was like, I'll just make this into a post. So I just posted it on LinkedIn. Brendan Gresh had this great idea. I don't know if Brendan's here. I can't see my full screen. He just popped in. There he is. There he is, Brendan. Hey, so Brendan Gresh had this idea that you all, many of you remember from one of our podcast episodes, we were saying, all right, what would be a game changer for IO brand awareness? And he said, hey, what if it's a hit movie played by, an, you know, starring an IO psychologist played by a well-known actor? So I just made this post basically saying that. And then I tagged like Netflix, Columbia Pictures, Universal Studios, and then I tagged a bunch of uh, producers, like movie producers, specifically from those companies in the post. So <laughs> maybe we'll get some traction. But in order to help traction, if you guys want to go and uh, give it some engagement, that would be great. Because who knows? Maybe we'll all get a starring role. Who knows? Um, so back to that in terms of I.O., Normally we start out and it's like, okay, here's some research articles. I wanted to take this in a little different direction because my mind just got going so far. So what I did first is I just wrote down my general thoughts. Then I went, I went onto the internet, which is highly trustworthy. And I said, all right, what are some of the AI implications for the workforce? So here's where my mind went. So this is going to be really just kind of like open bleeding discussion today. One of the things I thought about was, Again, tie this all back to IOs. So autonomous vehicles. So how long is it really going to be until UPS, FedEx, you know, all like these, it's autonomous. So what are they going to be doing while the vehicle is driving itself? Is that an opportunity for organizations? And I look at IO in three different ways in terms of how I think IO practitioner roles are going to be divvied up in the workplace. I think it's going to be strategy, data and creative implementation. And I think that our roles are gonna fit into that. Either you're an IO in the workplace focused on overall strategy, you're gonna be focused on the data, or you're gonna be more focused on the creative implementation of the strategy based on the data. So it makes sense because a lot of times people say, well, we don't have time to train our employees and, and take them off, take them off of the floor. This provides an opportunity to strategically, how can that time be used, for example, for training or for professional development? Well, they have these autonomous vehicles where they have the ability to like do training while they're not driving the car that's that's driving. But again, that's what our job is, is try to think about what's coming and what's coming that we don't know that's coming. And not even that. So what else can be done during that 
you know, downtime per se. And then also looking at really things like maintaining customer relationships. When you look at AI and healthcare, basically it's moving towards this where it's all going to be virtual assistants that are taking care of everything. So you lose a bit of those pieces there, but you also got to have quality control on the background. I watched recently, I forget what it was called. It was a Netflix special on like the E. coli's and salmonella's and the, the beef industry and the romaine lettuce and the chickens. Right now, I mean, you still have to have a human eye on those hundreds of chickens that are going by. So it made me think of that kind of in relation to this because you're going to have these virtual assistants. How are I a psychologist? Like what are going to be the, the roles and the future roles of IO in terms of almost either either strictly data or some other way in terms of quality assurance to make sure like in healthcare that these virtual assistants, that the information is getting collected properly. Because again, we look at IO psychologists uh, being experts in survey development, if that's their niche. Is the, is the information being collected properly? Are they getting valid information? How is it being disseminated? Then how is it being communicated? And then what are the implications and what's the end result, which goes back to IO, three separate job type functions. Like I said before, strategy, data, and creative implementation. And I'm sure we'll add more to that. So that's where my head's going today. And I've got a, I've got other examples that... Um, that I was thinking about. This does not have to be a conversation about AI, but it's one of those things that it hits so fast. And I'm, I'm telling you, every organization out there is looking into it because it does create a, a, a competitive advantage. And as IOs, we've at least got to learn it. We've at least got to learn general prop, like how do you prompt it and start to understand at least what organizations are using it for. Tom? And what organizations, how they could use it even more effectively, I imagine. So there's some interesting trends like IO is, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think IO is going to explode over the next five or 10 years. Um, maybe I should have gone into IO psychology when I was in university. Uh, but what are some of the, you know, beyond the nobody knows what IO psychology is, what are some of the other challenges out there? So <laughs> funny you mentioned that. You're like, yeah. And I, I do believe that IO psych, like, Five to ten years, it'll be a household name. But you'd be surprised. We we send an email out to our to our contacts, our CBOC contacts, about uh, basically kind of reiterating what I made in that LinkedIn post about five to ten years household name. You should see some of the people were hit reply, and it's yeah, maybe in the next life. No, IO psychology has terrible SEO. I mean, they're just brutal. So some people think it will eventually. Some people think it won't. But to your question, Tom, I would like to ask you, could you repeat your question for me? Because I yeah, yeah, what is beyond the, you know, nobody knows you're out there, Jeremy. Uh, what are some of the other challenges that the IO community faces? I think it's the answer. So here's the thing. It's a we've got the, the problem with the brand brand awareness. But how do we answer ourselves in a uh, I don't like that term. How do we manage the brand plus proactively help organizations know what the benefits are? for the different levels and the different niche areas of IO related to, I mean, yeah, I started talking about AI, so fine, related to AI and implications, but really related to that productivity piece, maintaining that productivity and performance piece you know, in a very tight way, but at the same time, what are the implications for maintaining it, for keeping a workforce, for retention, for the employee engagement piece, and there's 
just so many implications. We don't know. Look what look what's happened over the past 20 years. A lot of things have stayed the same because we're humans. We have the same needs. We, you know, for the most part, people focus on their self-interest. For the most part, people in organizations are afraid at each level. So they keep maybe sometimes the wrong communication or the wrong tightness on the reins of subordinates because they're afraid the same thing. We still have organizational politics and we still have, okay, we're going to do this, but we're just going to check a box with all kinds of initiatives in the workplace. So I think it's like, now that I think about it, Tom, this is why I love having you here. We take those and we turn them into problem statements. So what's the problem statements? What are the problem statements? How do we maintain performance and with also maintaining, you know, committed employees with engagement? How do we make sure we're having the proper tightness of of the reins while eliminating organizational politics? So you're getting into, again, there's a lot of strategy there, uh, ideation. I'll take it over to you because I I know there's some hands up here. Yeah, let's go to Linda Ann. Hello, Linda Ann. Good morning, sir. So in, in thinking about this topic ahead of time, one of the things that occurred to me is I, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for IOs, especially in, you know, and we had talked about this recently, about the door in for data-driven decision-making with all the implementation of AI. And of course, IOs are far more adept at utilizing that data and interpreting the data than most people in in leadership or human resources or anything like that. So I think that's one door in. But the other thing too is, is what is the real door into an organization? Do you have to create your own door or is there a door in that already exists that can get you in that there needs, that there needs to be some kind of integration and synergy? And I see that as most companies regardless of the size, understand that they need some aspect of a human resource component, right? But most human resources are people don't have the depth of education um, about humans that IOs have, right? They're all about the outward facing behavior and so forth. They're not focused in general on root cause and all those kinds of things. I think that there's a huge gap in human resources, even understanding what IO is and what they can do for an organization, how they can integrate, what the synergy can be. And I think that that's something to consider is how can we get IOs in to fill that real gap in what human resource offers an organization and that also can bring it down to company sizes that are 50, 80, 100, 150 people rather than looking at those 300, 500 size companies that might employ a IO consultant or an IO department. So that's my initial two cents. Well, it's a great two cents. And, and I agree with you 100% where I think every organization needs both HR and IO psychology. So in that vision, how does HR and IOs play nice together in the same sandbox? What, is that, what does it look like with them working together? Well, for example, just if you wanted to do performance management, you know, that is a, a place that's that's ripe for an integration with IO and human resources, because there's a lot of human, re- you know, human resources. I don't know very many that have a degree in human resources, right? It's, a, it's an after the fact kind of thing where you all have spent 
you have degrees upon degrees in in IO. And so the depth of knowledge there is so great on how to do this properly to extract the behavior that you're looking for, right? You look at the the process and the depth and the, the root cause and those kinds of things, and then how to properly analyze that information. Human resources basically is like the lipstick on a pig, you know, in a lot of ways, for the lack of a better, you know, analogy. It's all about what's forward facing. Uh, <laughs> thank you for that. I'm trying to try to get that image out of my head. Uh, and I love the fact that you said y'all, uh, which is a great segue to Lee. Lee, let's go to you. Tom, I feel attacked. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. But, you know, and one of the keys to what Linda Ann said is that, you know, when you put the lipstick on a pig, it's, it's still a pig and all you do is annoy the pig. So, you know, you have to be very careful with that. Just to, to circle back to, to where we started with, with Jeremy, our PR sucks as a field. I mean, we've been around for 100 plus years and people are still kind of like, what's that? And of course, we're this little, we're this corner. And so everybody thinks psychology and they start thinking, laying on a couch talking about your mother, which is obviously totally not our thing. So that's the first thing. And one, one place we have to be careful Dr. Powisser says, and some of these probably heard it, that if you have to explain the joke, it's not funny. And so you have to be very careful about trying to just out of the gate explain what an I.O. is, because a lot of them, they just don't care. It's, it's what can you do for me? You know, it's the same thing about walking in there going, well, the research says, and they and their eyes glaze over, they, they don't care. They care about what did you glean from that research? What can, What insights can you give them? What solutions, what pathways can you give? But if you start citing research and, you know, you've lost, you've lost them. So we have to be very careful about that. And actually, I was talking to an early career I.O. Uh, just recently. was asking about that. He's got a job that's not I.O. And they're like, okay, great. You got an I.O. degree. I don't know what that means. And so, you know, he's asking, well, how can I really kind of get in there? And, you know, and as, you, as we talked about it and thought about it, it's like, you know what? You don't go in there saying, I'm an I.O. and beating on your chest like Tarzan because you've already lost an argument that didn't even started yet. So what you have to do is you have to go with the ideas. You have to go with the solutions. You have to go with asking the right questions. And so you start off in small ways and they say, well, we have this issue. And you go, I up with that. And as you start to build that reputation, as you start to get in there and you start carving your niche in that organization where they start going, this person knows something that I that we need. And as that goes on, then somebody goes, how come you know all this stuff? Well, I have a degree in psychology. Really? Well, now you can have a conversation about that and people can start figuring that out. But I will say that in, in, in the couple of decades I've been out of school, it's only been in the last year, year and a half that I have seen a job called IO psychology or seen a job description that had IO psychology as a desired degree. We've made inroads. It's, it's happening. You know, the train has left the station, and, but it, it's still got to pick up some speed. But thanks to organizations like CBOC that are getting out there, thanks to things like LinkedIn and making uh, posts. I mean, just like this, we have people who are non-IOs who come to listen to work cookie. The IO pop-ups, we have non-IOs who show up because they're like, what is that? Uh, or they're just really bored on a Thursday night. I don't know, whatever works. But they show up and they hear some stuff. And then we have people who are like, you know, it's kind of, I heard about it. And I was kind of thinking about going into that, but I want to know more. Well, come on in. Let's have a chat. So, yeah, we've got the trains going, but we really need to, you know, throw some more coal in the fire. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. Some great comments so far. It's very true, unfortunately, that we don't have 
any marketing really. I mean, we're part of a larger organization, that being the APA, and they don't focus on marketing any of the branches of of psychology. And I think the the one branch that gets attention is clinical psychology, which is why anybody who hears you're a psychologist thinks that that's what you do, what Lee said, right? You see uh, clients and they lay on the couch and complain. So I think that what needs to happen, and it started already, as IOs, we need to come together and collectively promote IO psychology as a brand. And I think we're doing that, whether it's through social media, whether it's through podcasts such as these, but also we have an opportunity to add to that collective on an individual basis. Everybody within the IO field has the opportunity, and I might even say the responsibility to promote IO psychology to potential customers or clients. If you market yourself as an IO, you are effectively marketing the rest of IOs in this field. One of the things that I like is to approach a potential client, especially because IO is so um, not well known right now, relatively speaking still. You know, if as an organization, you have an IO on your staff or, or as a consultant, you are effectively using a secret weapon because not many other organizations have us working with them and helping them out. So even if there are thousands of organizations using IOs, there's millions of organizations out there. So we're still a secret weapon. So this is, I think, an important angle for us to focus on so that when we are marketing ourselves as individuals and adding to the collective, we look for ways that we can appeal to the organizations so that they understand working with us is not just checking off a box or trying some new trend. We've been around for a long time. Why not see what we can do for you? Because it is like a secret weapon. We can be very, very helpful. Let me ask you, if you don't mind, you know, you've been doing your own podcast, you're doing videos as well. Uh, you're doing some great marketing. So how have those things helped your own business? Well, you know, you have to keep talking to people. You can't be hiding from people and expect them to know who you are, right? It's it's one of those things where sometimes it's unfortunate, but it's true that sometimes people graduate and they have their degree and they want to contribute and change the world of of business and and be that bright new addition to the IO world, but they're shy. They don't have any experience. They don't know where to start. Maybe they have that imposter syndrome. And so they sit there and wait and hope that someone will ask them a question or will hire them or will discover them. And that is not the fastest way of getting the work word out there. You have to talk to people. And you know, one of the things that's interesting about our own society is people define each other by what they do to a large degree. So if you ever meet a new person, if you ever go to a party and you're chit-chatting with others, what is the one thing that you are sure to be asked? What do you do for a living? Don't be shy. Tell people what you do for a living and tell them what that means so that they don't think you are a therapist, right? right? So we have to be 
more and more proactive. And as Lee said, that train has already left the station and we are seeing more than we were seeing in terms of recognition five, 10 years ago, but we have a long, long way to go. We can't wait for the APA to magically start promoting us. We have to do our own thing. Like August is IO month and it is what it is. We decided. Yep. <laughs> so we have to be proactive both individually and collectively. That's the best way that we're going to keep this momentum going. Right. And kudos to yourself and Jeremy and everyone who shows up every week to be on this program and spread the word because it is effective. We are reaching out and getting to people. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. And if you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cbock.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real-world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Uh, Brendan, let's go to you. So I want to go back to the, the main focus of this with being the future of biopsychology and looking at some of the things that we're doing right now that I know we're all doing, and you can all say that you're not, but you are. You're just lying to yourself. So we all come out of we all come out of grad school, maybe undergrad with degrees in IO. And immediately we want this sexy title in IO. And that's not going to further the future of IO um, because you're just going to go into institutions that already have IO, that's already an in-group that understands who you are as an IO and can relate with you. The biggest impact you're going to make is when you go in and take a job title that might not have the sexy IO title, but has the sexy IO job responsibilities. And I would say in the salaries there as well. So if you're perpetuating the, well, I need that IO job title. Well, you're already limiting yourself as to what the future can be. Again, focusing on the the IO type job responsibilities is going to be what's so important. I like how Lee put it is that you're going to go in and people are going to go, wow, how do you know all these things? Well, it's because of this. When you lead with, I have a, a degree in IO, it is very much the pounding of the chest and people get turned off by that because it's like they get this like, oh, you think you're superior because you have this. And it's like, no, this is this is kind of the skill set that I'm approaching these things with. So I think those things are important to look at. I think one of the really great trends that I'm happy to be part of right now is CBOC. This, this platform within itself was not available five years ago. So coming out of grad school, it was either PSYOP or you had to rely on your school. And that's an important trend right now that CBOC is filling this gap where you could be brand new to IO. You can be an IO for a long time and come to this group and still have people to connect with here and have these robust discussions on. 
So I think those things are important as well. I do know when we had talked about the idea of, of the IO with the movie, I don't remember what it was, but it also started to come up in politics that there was somebody running for president that had a degree in IO. And I know that started to be a hit on it as well. And I I really, if someone wants to take one for the team here and go into politics, that would also be a great way to further expand. But again, you'd be taking a big hit and IO has integrity and politics doesn't necessarily have integrity. So I'm asking you to sacrifice some of your beliefs within that. But these are where we really have some opportunities for growth within these things is that the industries, these different sectors need us. And if we're just, oh, I need to go into IO, I need to be doing uh, assessments or selection or or very specific niche things. Well, you're you're doing yourself a disservice because you have so many more abilities than that to then just well, I only want to do this or I want to have that sexy title, so this is what I'm going to have to go into. And I'm saying that's fine to launch yourself your into your career for that, but you need to think bigger than that because you know you didn't go to get your advanced degree so that you can make an extra $20,000 a year. You went to go get your advanced degree so that you could be pulling in six figures and then keep bumping that up year over year. So don't forget why you started doing this and don't forget why you went down this path. And I, I mean, for me, it's money, but for me, it's also, you know, helping people, the most important thing of IO. So yeah, you're you're doing a lot of good for for people, but it sure is nice when they hand you a check. Uh, Carol Lee, let's go to you. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, Brendan, I really appreciated what you were saying. And I think it segues perfectly into what kind of my thoughts surrounding this conversation have been. I'm speaking from the internal practitioner perspective, and I'm not in a classic IO role. And so it's been really cool just to see how I can use my IO lens of like how I view now the world and all jobs um, to impact my like my role, my day-to-day role. But I really think, you know, like what Linda Ann and Dr. Martha, you guys were saying earlier, you were talking about being able to communicate what IOs do and communicate it in an effective way to people in the organization and clients, um, people in the organization that matter and can make differences like leadership and then client, potential clients that you might be working with. If there were like two practical things, takeaways from the conversation today that I would encourage all internal practitioners you know, irregardless of what role you have, regardless of what role you have in the organization, I think we as IOs have the ability to identify those root causes of issues. And so, like I said, whatever role you might have in the organization, you probably will come upon situations where you you might go, oh, I see that this department is having a staffing issue. Like this department might be understaffed or, and that's the root cause of their burnout, or, you know, you might make hypotheses or be able to kind of um, see some things out. And so when you are able to identify that, or you have a suspicion that that might be the issue surrounding another issue within the organization, then being able to take that to the head of whatever department that might be able to actually make a difference in that area. And so yeah, I think just like keeping an eye out for issues within the organization and then knowing who to talk to about those issues so that you can begin conversations because and not having the expectation that you are going to make a, a huge difference overnight, but understanding that each conversation does matter and knowing who can help you, who you can partner with to um, further the impact is also a really good skill to have as well. One of the things I've noticed is that 
there's a huge lack of leadership in a lot of organizations that people get, they're doing a great job, they get promoted, eventually they end up in a position of leadership, but they don't actually train them how to lead. So as an internal IO, are you able to use some of you know your skills and knowledge to either become a leader or to train some of those managers to, to become leaders? Yes, that is definitely under the big IO umbrella. And I think that's a really important point, Tom, you know, we need to be um, encouraging leadership. And I, I always like to say, you know, you might have your job description and your role title, kind of like what Brendan was saying, but go beyond that, you know, think bigger than that. And um, you can you can impact people in ways that you might not even be able to think about, even if you're lower on the totem pole, reaching out to, to leadership and having conversations and partnering with them. And so if there is an opportunity for an IO to train leaders, I think that's incredible and that they should really take advantage of that. Yeah. And Jeremy, you've often talked about leadership from below, which I think is such a key ingredient for a lot of organizations. Uh, Linda mm-hmm. Ann, let's go to you. I want to prompt people to, to think about this. One of the, like Jeremy was talking about the guy in the UPS truck with the automated car, truck, whatever it is. And, and and how are they spending that time and so forth? And what I would like to challenge people to think about is to think beyond the current paradigm of what we know, right? We know uh, the automated cars that we see today that are imperfect, to say the least. And so what happens when they're not imperfect, right? When it really works and, and go beyond, you know, what we are cynical thought process might be with regard to um, how that will advance. But what does it look like then? Go to the next step and break down those current restrictions and and paradigms that we have about what AI means in the workplace today and think about what the contribution of an IO can be in that next level world. And think about it in some ways this way. At the time of the pandemic, you know, remote work was just sort of out there. Now it's part of our normal paradigm, right? How do you work? How is it working for you? Think about this five years from now and what's it really going to be like and position yourself to work in that environment and get be that thought motivator for the businesses today that are really trying to figure out what the future looks like. How do I prepare for resilience and, and getting my employees in a position where I can have them adapt well and and keep this company going, whatever size that company may be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm hearing, you know, estimates within five years of half a billion people being online remote workers around the world. So I, you know, it it's coming in, it's going to be huge. Uh Jeremy, let's go back to you. It's always a good I I, I, I love these I love these events because there's always so many hands raised. It's like six to seven at a time, which it's so engaging. and I love it. And I, just as a reminder, uh, anyone, anyone here can, you can just raise your hand and, and speak up. We'd love to hear from you. There is a, I was just looking at, so Tom, you just mentioned like the, basically like this, like Upwork, these remote workforce types of things. I'm just putting in the chat, this, this thing that I was looking at, uh, Upwork alone has more than 10 million freelancers registered in 180 countries. And there's an interesting, there's an interesting picture uh, in terms of looking at like the future of work. And, and it's, it's a little infographic and it shows a frying pan because frying pans are fun. And 25% that basically says the percentage by which companies have flattened out in the past 25 years 
losing management layers in favor of more of a grid-like structure. And by the way, if you're listening on the podcast, it's called, it's an article in the Guardian called Five Ways Work Will Change in the Future. And your traditional model is a ladder, right? You have an employee climbing a ladder. But what this new structure is that companies are starting to adopting, it says, is this new lattice model or lattice model, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Rather than moving up in one direction, ambitious employees can move sideways tying into new wet networks. And it's cool. It's got this picture of a pie. And you have the pie, like the top of a pie without a full breading on the top. It's like a grid-like pattern. So basically, you can move up to the right, up to the left, up to the right, up to the left, and manage your career in that way. And that's good because you're tapping into you're tapping into different networks, you're upskilling, you're cross-training, you're doing all these different types of things. But at the same time, the important thing is that you're like during the whole whole thing, you're still moving upwards. So how that just that having that type of model and knowing that organizations are going less hierarchical, especially with your upstarts and with more flat organizations, that is a huge uh, challenge for organizations. So there's a whole strategic, I'll go back to the three roles, uh, strategic data and creative implementation. So with that new type of model, what what is how do you work the strategy? How do you work the data? How do you work the creative implementation? And there's other interesting, again, we don't know what we don't know. I just read something in this article that just surprised me Tom, it makes me think back to what we what we've talked about because we had a couple of podcast episodes on like employee monitoring. So I guess companies are now starting to give their employees fitness trackers because they want to see like how much they're exercising. Are you getting enough sleep? And I read the article very quickly just now, but it's under the guise of, hey, we want to know how you're feeling and we want to be there for you. But <laughs> what does it also do? Because the the company keeps the data, so then then they're like they're knowing all this all these other things about their particular em- employees. Um, so here, just in 2014, I mean, forget about even recently. I can imagine now around 10,000 companies worldwide offered their staff fitness trackers, where the company gets the data. Um, so there's all these implications. And then again, like we're talking about trends and challenges for an IO. Now you get into, I get the very basic for this, even like the fitness tracker thing, an IO psychologist will be able to come in. And again, back to like old school, you're doing your dissertation, you're doing your coursework in IO. And luckily most people still uh, do this, go back to the empirical research what are the consequences and what are the benefits of doing something like this? Because then you can look at the consequences of, you know, feelings of control in the workplace, perceived organizational trust, all these different terms that you can go and you can find the information on it. But again, it goes back to that quote from that consultant in a book. I can't remember companies never have the time and money to do it right the first time, but they always have the time and money to do it again. That's what the evidence-based research does. And when IOs can take that research and say, here's here's what we know, empirical evidence, evidence of what we know are the variables with this initiative that you're trying to uh, run out for the employees. Here are the, here are the like the sub-factors of those variables. And here's what studies show in terms of what we can expect to be the effect on these particular employees on their performance, 
on even things like broader with the with the culture of the organization so that organizations can start can make sure that they're implementing practices whether it be hey you guys wear a fitbit and we get the data to something else that we don't know what it's going to be uh there's just so many consequences i'll add this too there's also with people living longer so people living longer people are starting to stay in the workforce longer again that's newer because now people with just more and more life, right? So how do we look at these hiring approaches? How does an I how how do we add value to an organization? Especially now you tie that back into that pie approach where organizations, because people are living longer, maybe they keep you know going up and up and up to the right to the left. So now how do you make sure knowing people are going to live longer that you continue to provide them with development? throughout the organization to, to to keep us spry as we age within organizations or within our career. But also, I'm just going to guess that if people are living worker and living longer, there's probably going to be later and later in life that you continue to change jobs. So how does that implement different kinds of things in hiring practice? And I want to, I want to add one more thing about implications in, in the future, because a big part of of what we do is like like hiring, like high stakes situations. We use psychological assessments, not just for promotion and and hiring, but also for professional development. There's an assessment called the Colby. It's the Colby. Uh, many of you may, may, might know the Colby A. There's also a Colby B. Colby is basically our instinctual work methods. Uh, without getting too far into it, there's a Colby assessment. I think it's the Colby B where recruiters can use this to assess basically you just you uh, you input hey here are the job requirements here's what's required with this particular job and then how well does this particular candidate match with what's required for the job now colby they they say hey this isn't used to knock people out it's only used to knock people in but by default if you knock people <laughs> Right. So, but there, that's good because they have that language because the whole thing with assessments is it, is it legally defensible? Can it hold up in court? So kind of just a side note on that playing with assessments, you know, you got to know what you're doing, but then, then I, I pull this back to AI. What happens if an employee is taking this particular assessment and there's some software out there, which would probably already exist where you can upload a job description and and then up and then say here's the question I got from the Colby upload that real quick and it says hey per this job description you want to answer this assessment assessment like this so again these are challenges that I that I as psychologists are the are the ones to take these challenges assessments especially the high stakes one they already have things in there if if you guys are familiar with assessments the first thing you get is basically is this is it acquiescent like are, are people faking are they answering just you know yes for everything or are they trying to make themselves look good because this is all worked in by the test developers so that's that's fantastic you can often tell if if people are represent misrepresenting themselves but in the case of you know how does again ai play into this with psychological assessments especially the high stakes one so there's so much to do and the good news here is if you haven't found your niche area in io yet Believe me, there are plenty of opportunities now to find your niche area in I.O. Tom? It didn't, once upon a time, CBOC actually started to chart all the niches. And wasn't there about 100 of them, 80 to like 100 niches? Yeah. If you go on uh, if you go on the website, if you go under, I think it's under resources, it says niche areas in I.O. 
And there are, I think there's 89, but I did catch one duplicate the other day, Tom. So I think oh. there's, actually, there's actually 88. <laughs> and then also Dr. Destiny pre uh, updates every six to nine months, a uh, like different job titles that people in the IO space might, uh, might, might look for in terms of job opportunities or work or work towards. So you can just follow Dr. Destiny pre on LinkedIn. We also, she redid the post recently too. So it might be up on the CBOT company page. I do want to mention one more thing, totally unrelated before I forget. So we opened up Seabox Sidebar, which is a LinkedIn group. We strategically waited and waited and waited. And now is the perfect time because we're going to use that for our primary channel, our primary means of like everyone can engage during the three-day event. Because we were like, do we use Slack? Do we use Discord? Well, we had this channel already created that we did nothing with because we were using other channels, other means, but we open that up. So you can just type in CBOC and LinkedIn. It'll pop up. It'll say CBOC sidebar. You can join the group and you'll see some initial posts that Dr. Destiny and I did on how we're going to use that for the conference, but we're going to keep that open and we're going to have that an ongoing thing for our, um, our community. Tom, over to you. Sounds good. Matthew, let's go to you. Uh, thank you, Tom. So, and uh, Jeremy, thank you for a lot of that great information. So there's been a lot of really good talk around marketing IOs and the trends within IOs. So psychology is the study of the mind and behavior. IOs look at that mind and behavior in the workplace. So as organizations experience voluntary or voluntold changes, their ability to sustain operations integrate new technologies, attract people, attract new ideas, new processes. It's contingent on their ability to navigate people's behaviors in response to those processes and to those changes. IOs in a variety of roles provide a a unique lens, an evidence-based lens that can benefit those organizations to help them do just that. Uh, I think it was Kara Lee had talked about that unique lens uh, perspective. And Linda Ann, when she talked about current and recent workforce or workplace trends, uh, increased remote work, hybrid designs, employee well-being, DE&I, skill development, whether that's proactive instead of reactive to external influences, these all impact businesses across a variety of industries. And business leaders are looking for those experts who can help them navigate and excel in conjunction with those trends. Those experts are the IOs. That's us. So I, I love what Dr. Martha said. IOs are a secret weapon. We really are. Yeah, I agree 100%. Amanda, let's go to you. A number of items I keep hearing pop up is the confusion that the general population doesn't understand what it is we do, but what it is we do is all very different. And it's really about finding out what it is you do and learning how to articulate that well enough in plain language standards that the general public will understand, which general public Plain language is eighth grade language or eighth grade. So if you can learn to articulate your niche areas, so just out of, you know, really general curiosity for those that are present here, if you could in the chat indicate, are you a generalist or do you have a specialization? And if you have a specialization, where is your specialization? Because as it was indicated, we have both psychology and business overlap, but the other items that overlap into that is all different. For some of those that do applied workplace research, you're going to have the overlap of business, psychology, and research. For myself, I'm L&D, so I'm education, so I'm business, psychology, and education. And helping understand folks really 
fine tune that and really dive it in, it can help us articulate that with the explanation that reminding folks that we all do something different and we have expertise and specializations, especially for those that specialize for a reason, because the depth of knowledge in those areas are really, really great. And that does not say that generalists are not needed because they are, because they are the ones that help connect the problem, the root cause analysis to the specialists that can help get that solved the first time around, not the second time around. So it's, I hope that the next evolution that we have as a field is being able to articulate what we do in such a way that it brings clarity to what we have to offer. Not so much of, well, I want getting back to that title. It's there is because there's so many specializations, the chances of finding a title that includes that is not likely going to happen. You you put your blinders on your, yourselves instantaneously when that occurs. And you might miss your passion, your focus, your area that gives you your fire if you're just looking for IO or organization or whatever it may be. Because if you're DNI, you're you're not going to see that. You're going to have to focus on the specialization within the field that you want to work in and apply your expertise in because, yeah. Yeah, I see a lot of agreement on the screen. So very good point. Rachel, let's go to you. I had to pause my desk treadmill so that you could not hear it in the background. So I was going to go back, initially was going to go back to this idea of the label of the IO job. But uh, Jeremy, you touched on something that's near and dear to my own specialization, speaking of niches, which is this idea of employee wellness and employee wellness programming. I mean, that is an area where IOs can contribute, but it's also an area where board certified health and wellness coaches can contribute. And um, I wear both of those hats, but it's an also, also an area ripe with a lot of lawsuits to Jeremy's points about data sharing. And so if anyone is also in this space or looking to get into this space, I would be remiss if I didn't take that opportunity just to say there are organizations that are really striving to make this a field of excellence rather than random acts of wellness and make sure that companies know that when they are trying to improve the employee experience through wellness programs or wellness programming efforts, they realize they need to abide by ADA, GINA, and a few and a number of other uh, a number of other state and federal laws. And then make sure that any data they collect are being collected with the employee buy-in and are seen as not mandatory. So there's just a there's a whole world for all of us to play in. And I definitely encourage anyone to look into that. If you're not sure where your niche could be, if that speaks to you, I definitely check that would check that out because there's just not enough of us right now um, doing that work. And thank you very much for that. Renee, welcome to Work Cookie. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Renee Molina. Uh, I'm an academic and practitioner in the IO world. I'm son of Central American refugees and uh, I love the Latinos in IO uh, kind of little pool that's being made. And so I'm really happy for that. My passion is to take IO into the social and nonprofit sector. And one of my basic assumptions is that IOs can become experts in social impact. And so that's kind of where I'm going. And uh, we're seeing a lot of need, a lot of use, a lot of value in the nonprofit world. And so uh, What's helped me is to find a home <laughs> with my niche 
that's been SSIR and journal business ethics. And so that's something that's helped me, especially as someone of color and, and trying to make a way for people of color in the IO field. And so uh, just really happy to be part of this community and, and hope to keep learning from all you. Well, I can speak for everyone. With, we're so glad that you're here, you know, and and join it, and that you're benefiting. And and I love the field that you're looking at, uh, Lee. Let's go to you. Oh man, so much. I know we're out of time, so I'll be really quick. You know, one thing as far as the the, the niche goes is that don't think that you have to stick with one. If you see something that's adjacent to you, kind of like Jeremy was talking about with the moving to the sides and whatever. If there's something adjacent that looks interesting and you have an opportunity, don't think, oh, I can't do that because that's you know change management and I'm a you know an org person. So you can we change, we adapt. That's what we do. It's kind of what our whole point is. And and also don't worry about that title. I mean, you know, when I did, you know, when I when I became a Pathfinder way back when Jeremy and I were on a call and I was grousing about, you know, all the time I since I got out of school and I hadn't used my IO degree. And he's going through my LinkedIn going, dude, there's IO all through this stuff. And he started pointing stuff out and I was like, I feel so much better. I didn't waste all that money and time. So you know, don't get wrapped up on the on the title. And just one quick thing on the AI stuff is that, you know, one place that we excel is in the ethics realm. Because when you get into AI, AI is ethics neutral. It, it has no concept. Don't, yeah, I see you shaking your head. I'm talking about the AI itself, Linda, and not the people running it. Um, the AI itself doesn't see it. I mean, we've all seen it in science fiction. I mean, humans are the problem. Wipe them out. So... That's where we come in to add that ethical part of that because the AI itself doesn't have a concept of that. Computers and all of that, they follow the directions that they're given, whatever those may be. And so they need the human element to add that in. And that's one place where we shine and we can really be part of this, uh, of this whole evolution. And back to you, Tom. And one day, I'm sure there will be IO robots. Uh, <laughs> there's a new field right there. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. I wanted to go back to what Linda Ann said because I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Remember to look at what the future is bringing our way. And she gave that example with the UPS and the truck that finally is able to reliably drive itself. What does the driver then do? Well, the first thing that popped into my head is he's playing with his phone, looking on social media, but it's the organization's responsibility to occupy his time in a way that is productive, that is worthy of, of him being awake and, and in his uniform. And that's where IOs come in. But I thought it was absolutely brilliant to bring that up because things move so fast, especially when it comes to te technology and change, that sometimes it's difficult to keep up. But if we're going to be successful and we're going to be seen, we have to start thinking not only about today and what is needed today of us as IOs, but also into the future. So that was a great point. I wanted to make sure everybody remembered that. Yeah. And, you know, a little bit from my background, if you entertain people while you're trying to educate them, they actually retain a lot more information. Uh, and that's a great place to wrap today. Jeremy, this has been another great conversation. We've gone over time, uh, but we have to talk about next week before we go. So next week, we won't be having this regular event for the podcast. We're, we'll, we'll end up taking one of the sessions from the three-day event and posting that up on a podcast. So you won't skip a beat as far as the podcast episodes coming out and then also from 12 i will mention from 12 to 1 eastern uh every, every day of the event it's open networking slash break so we'll leave the zoom open 
and anyone can feel free. You guys can eat your lunch and just like be on the Zoom and network and chat and, and hang out. Or it can be a ghost town and nobody can be there. But we're going to leave it open for that for that particular networking opportunity. The following week, when we come back for this regular schedule, August 17th, the topic is developing a career path in IO psychology, navigating opportunities and transitions. So I guess this is it until we meet for the three-day event. So if you haven't got your ticket, it's free, free for everyone. If you're interested in IO or practicing, just go to our events page on CBOC, grab it. We're going to have some fun. Tom, anything else? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention too that it's 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 not going to be like a regular convention. There's not going to be presentation style for a lot of the presentations. We're going to do very much like we do here with the Work Cookie Podcast. And so, if you're there, you can actually participate. You know, you don't have to sit silently there. You can actually get in. You may get a chance to actually ask questions and to have conversations with these great people that we see every week. And a lot of them are going to be at every session as well. So if they've got a question, they're going to be jumping in. So you can do the same yourself. Absolutely. So important. It's going to have this kind of feel. We're all hanging out, talking about really important things. And you'll be able to, like, like Tom said, you can contribute. You can raise your hand. You can talk. And, of course, we have our standard, our CBOC experts as panelists who will be talking, sharing. And Tom, might be interesting as a, from a moderation standpoint <laughs> with all that we have all in all, in terms of like numbers so far, I think the last time I checked on LinkedIn, we have 1500 people clicked attend for the, for the LinkedIn. And we've got uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of actual tickets already. They're free, but you know, sold. So uh, from a zoom standpoint, we, we, it's going to be a lot of people. I think Zoom will max out on the 49 for the screens, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And Lee, speaking of fun, you got a pop-up coming up tonight? I do indeed. The link is actually in the chat, but I'll post it again just in case because it's still in my clipboard. So come Excellent. and hang out with us. Sounds good. And Dr. Martha, where can we find you? You can check out my podcast, which is Workplace Psychology with Dr. Martha Grydek. That's on all of the major platforms. Amazon, uh, Apple, iHeartRadio, and on my YouTube channel, which is stress-free with Dr. G. So come check it out. Great content. Do check it out. Jeremy, I think that is everything for the day. So if you want to count us out, we'll see everybody next week at the online convention. Thank you, everyone. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seaboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seaboc.com.